Gary got the 33 votes. I got the six. And I, I was just floored. I had no idea what happened. And so it took me about a month. And I finally met up with Gary. I said, so Gary, like, did you know you were going to get all those votes? He said, well, of course I knew. Welcome, everyone, to another week of Funny Business. Today with me, I have Alain Hunkins. He is a leadership speaker, if I'm not mistaken. And you've written a book or two, right? I have, yes. A book or two. A book or two. <laughs> well, is it, which one is it? Is it a book or is it two? Well, it's, it's actually, I have an e-book, which was, I call it, like, and that's the or two, but I definitely have a seriously published book by a published author. So, yes, it's a full book. <laughs> awesome. Well, before we dive into all the entrepreneurial goodness, I like to find out a little bit more about the people that are on the show and try to see what their journey is from childhood to now. So, Where'd you grow up and what was your childhood like? Okay. Wow. Suddenly I feel like I'm on the analyst's couch, right? How, <laughs> t- tell me about your childhood. <laughs> so um, I grew up in Flushing, Queens, New York City. And, you know, so this is interesting because I'm going to kind of, I've talked about this in other places. So it's not like I'm, whoa, revealing something that's, but it's pretty un- unique. I didn't know it at the time, but my childhood was pretty unique. I grew up in New York City. That is not so unique. Lots of people have grown up there. It's raised by a single mom, my grandmother also not particularly unique. The unique part of my family of origin story is that both my mother and my grandmother are Holocaust survivors. And so, my, so that's why I had this Alain French name. My mom is from Brussels, Belgium, and her family was living in Belgium. My mom was born in 1935. Well, if you know your World War II history, the Nazis invaded. And so she spent about three and a half years during the war separated from her parents in hiding through the Belgian underground, shuffled and shuttled from place to place. I share all that because as you can imagine, if that was their experience, amazingly, my grandmother and my mother both survived while no one else really did from the family that shaped their experience. And here I'm growing up as like a New York City public school kid, you know, going to school. And what I noticed was going to school, the vibe at my friend's houses or at school was so different than the vibe in my house. So I was really curious as to why, what makes for the difference. And what I came upon through lots of study and learning and self-development was it comes down to leadership. And I don't define leadership as a job title. It's I think anytime that any of us are influencing anyone, whether that's just ourselves or somebody else, that's leadership. So that's what got me on this journey of trying to figure things out because, you know, I saw particularly my grandmother who, you know, was 26 when the war broke out, you know, this completely shattered her world. And I thought, wow, like, how can I help people to be kind of liberated from your own beliefs? Because, you know, the war ended in 1945, but for my grandmother, it never really ended. So again, slightly deep thoughts to get our conversation going. Sure, That's really what got me on this track of why I think about what I do when I do. That's crazy. So how did you get started in focusing uh, on leadership and actually like getting out there and speaking about it? Yeah, so I started, so my undergrad degree is liberal arts. I dabbled in everything, but a lot around theater. I actually have an MFA from an acting conservatory. So I studied Mm -hmm. acting. So I, so I got very good at performing and being able to communicate ideas and getting comfortable on stage, as it were. And then from there, I got involved with some arts and education companies doing teaching in New York City public schools and did some teaching for a while in schools. And then a friend of mine said, have you ever thought about working in organizations doing training? Like, no, I had never thought about that. So long story short, I ended up doing some corporate training starting in 1997. So Fast forward, here we are almost 30 years or so later, 25 years later, and what I've been doing is working with literally thousands of groups over time, 
focusing on what some people call the soft skills. So whether that's around connecting, communicating, collaborating, how do you work with other people? And the more that I worked with more people, the more I saw patterns emerge. Turns out that the best leaders have certain things in common, as do the worst leaders. And so my book's called Cracking the Leadership Code. I wanted to find out how could I take those patterns, break them apart, and look at what are the specific behaviors underneath those patterns that you could teach somebody so they could start to replicate the things that the most successful people do. So what were some of the earliest mistakes that you made in your career developing that? And what have you learned from it? Great question. So it's funny because, you know, doctor, take thine own medicine, right? <laughs> so early in my career, I was actually volunteering for a not-for-profit leadership development company in New York City, living there at the time. And the role of executive director opened up. And I thought, I'm 29 years old. I'm the volunteer. I should get this job. So it was, you had to be voted in. It was like the whole, an annual meeting by all the members could vote. Like I'm going to get elected. So I'm like, I threw my hat in the ring. We show up for the annual meeting and this one other guy is going up for the job, this guy named Gary. Now in my mind, I'm a shoe in for this job because I've been there for three years. I've done all this stuff. I am, I wouldn't have said it at the time, but I'm entitled. Like it's very clear. The job is mine. Gary been around like six months. What does he know? So we have the election. And they announced the results, final votes, 33 votes to six. And my first thought is, yes, I've crushed Gary. Yes. Turns out Gary got the 33 votes. I got the six. And I, I was just floored. I had no idea what happened. And so it took me about a month. And I finally met up with Gary. I said, so Gary, like, did you know you were going to get all those votes? He said, well, of course I knew. I said, how? He said, I asked for them. I said, what do you mean? He said, well, I started meeting and having meetings with people one-on-one -on -one to get to know the community. And I'd ask people why they were involved and what they wanted from the organization and what they would do if they were the executive director. And so mm -hmm. then I said, my vision for this is to really have a team focus on things. And would you be part of that team and then support me first by showing up and voting for me so we could do this. And as I'm sitting here in this diner, as he's telling me this story, I can just feel that blowing of my brain and this kind of blinding flash of the obvious because I was operating from what I now call kind of old school leadership mindset, which is I deserve this, that my merit should put me in the role. Whereas what Gary understood is that at its core leadership, now, whether you're an entrepreneur or a formal position in a large organization, it doesn't matter. At its core leadership is a relationship between two people. And the quality of that relationship is only as good as the connections you make, the communication you have, and the collaboration that you establish, which is what Gary did instantly Whereas I didn't do any of that stuff. So the good news is I learned a ton from that mistake. And it's actually what gave me the framework, which has now become the book, right? The book's subtitle, the book's title is Cracking the Leadership Code. The subtitle is Three Secrets to Building Strong Leaders. And those three secrets, the meta themes, the meta skills are connection, communication, and collaboration. There's always somebody else out there doing something better than you in some way, form, or function. We all know that good artists uh, create on their own or they borrow, but great artists steal. So what have you stolen from somebody who's done better than you? And how have you incorporated it into your own business? Sure. So I'll give him a shout out here. So hopefully people know who this guy is. Adam Grant He's a pretty well-known author. He's got a, a new book that just came out a couple of weeks ago from the time that we're recording this. So Adam Grant has this newsletter. He's a Wharton school professor and he's written about four books. And so I got his newsletter and I loved the format because basically what he does in his newsletter, he, you know, a couple of sentence blurb, but basically he says what I've been reading. 
and he basically curates five or six or four articles a month and he gives a two sentence blurb about the article and then a link to the article if you want to read the whole thing he says what i've been reading and then what i've been writing and he does the same thing for his own work boom and that's the format i went this is brilliant because what it is, is it's a newsletter that is not selling anything. It's adding value to people in a really soft sell way, but it also establishes him as this thought leader. So I completely stole that format and I've been using that format for my newsletter. I don't know, it's like six years now, which has helped me to grow my newsletter, you know, with thousands and thousands of people now, because it's people like, I love your newsletter. And even if they don't read it, they bookmark it as a resource to go back to. So that's one thing that I've completely shamelessly stolen from Adam Grant. So how do you achieve efficiency in your businesses? What shortcuts have you discovered to make them run more smoothly? Okay, so one of the biggest things is around prioritizing. And one of my, I've got a couple of mantras around this. One is for me and one is for my clients um, of any, or prospects, okay? So the one for me is if it's not a yes, it's a no, right? Because mm -hmm. you think about how many demands as an entrepreneur, how many demands there are on your time. Like, oh, that sounds interesting. And here's the thing. I mean, when I started earlier in my career, I was much more like, oh, you want to have a meeting? What works for you? And I would have this meeting here and then as opposed to how can I batch these things all in like, so for example, if I have new connection requests or I have new contacts, I schedule all those meetings on a Friday because by the end of the week, I'm ready for that. Now, other people might want to do that on a different day. It doesn't matter what day, but kind of batching out and focusing on those priorities and limiting them because the biggest resource or the most limited resource we have, the most valuable one we have is our time. So for me, it's really about if it's not a yes, yes, this is going to move things forward. No, just it's it's a no. It's not a I'm going to let's talk about this in a couple of weeks because then I got to bring it up again in a couple of weeks. So I definitely, it's it's really setting those boundaries. So that's the mantra that's for me. The one for my clients is reduce the friction, right? Because let's face it, we're always making asks of other people. Like, hey, can you talk to these people? Can you do this? When I'm making that ask, and I'll give you an example. So my book's been out a, a little over a year. It has 103 Amazon reviews. I would say of those 103, 100 have been prompted by me asking other people to do it. Right. And not necessarily once, but following up, right? Because that's how this stuff gets done. Like, you, you know, any entrepreneur knows that, you know, there's no magic that, oh, look, I mean, maybe if your last name is Kardashian, there's magic, but otherwise the rest of us have to hustle a little bit. So with the Amazon reviews, I created a template. I put it on a hidden page of my website. So it's not public, but I can send a link to it. And basically, it, when they go there, it's like, here's a link for the Amazon review. Here's what, it, here's the format two to three, two to three sentences. It should be five stars, by the way just to be really clear. And here are some keyword prompts that you can mix and match and create your own review. I didn't obviously write out the same review because otherwise that's not me, but basically it's a way that makes it easier, right? Reduces the friction for other people. If you think about why do we love Amazon? Because they've made it so gosh darn easy for us to one click. And so how can you make it easy for your clients, your prospects, your employees to do business with you? And the, make, the more that you make things easier for people, I mean, the better. I mean, so my branding, you know, so I'm in the world of leadership development of which there are hundreds and hundreds of people out there, if not thousands. So how am I different? So my focus is what I call the facilitative mindset, right? So there's a big difference between being a high performer and facilitating high performance in others. And the goal of the facilitative mindset is to help achieve performance goals easier. So mm. for me, because easy, 
you know, we live in a very complicated, complex world. So if you can make things easier for people, you are adding value. And that is definitely worth something. Exactly how long did it take you to go from in college to where you are now? So I graduated college in 1990. So we're looking at 31 years. And by the way, and, and I, I want to kind of a little asterisk on this. I call myself, I'm on the slow track to success because mm. in terms of like my book, this is my first published book came out a year ago. So I was 51 when the book came out. Partialist is by design. So I was in doing good work and my focus, and this goes back to priorities. We talked about this earlier. My focus in my thirties was, well, I had kids when I was, my first is born when I'm 36, my second one, 39. So thirties and forties, my focus was on being a dad. And it was, you know, I had a job paying the bills, but I, you know, being an entrepreneur is like having another baby that <laughs> involves a lot of time and effort. And at that point I was willing to do the trade-off and be a subcontractor. I had a side of business, but I was mostly subcontracting um, to other companies. And it really wasn't the same kind of hustle and building my brand visibility the way I am now. That was a choice that I made that I was completely good with at the time. So you know, you can hear, you know, build your seven, eight figure business by the time you're whatever. If that's your thing, great. And if it's not your thing, listen to your own values. Because if you just listen to the noise out there, well, they'll tell you that you should be doing this and doing that. And what I have found, and I've coached lots of very successful, and when I say successful, we're really talking about, you know, monetarily successful, lots of very successful people who have miserable, miserable lives. Um, and part of it has to do with the fact that they are chasing after something and trying to fill a hole that more stuff and more status will never fill. So do what's gonna work for you. That is absolutely wonderful advice. How did you develop a passion for leadership and coaching others to become leaders? Yeah, I got a passion for this because I was 26 and I went on a professional development Actually, a personal development weekend, not professional. I was not at work, with work at all. Personal development growth weekend workshop. And on the course of the weekend, it happened to be a weekend that was only for men. I was 26 at the time. And I was like, okay, I'm 26 by all accounts on the label. I should be an adult man. How come I don't feel like something's changed? And this weekend was really about helping men to step into being more mature in some ways. And but, but part of that is, developing their own mission in the world. Like, how are you showing up? What's your purpose for being here? And they had a whole visualization process, amongst other things, they had a visualization process around connecting to what is your purpose? What's your mission? And the whole weekend kind of blew my circuits. I got done with this whole weekend and I went, oh my gosh, like I love this work. I love how I feel in myself in a way that I hadn't felt before. So that's, and what I realized too, was then I started volunteering for the organization. So the not-profit I told you about Gary and that, that's the same company. That's the same organization. It's called the Mankind Project, by the way. It's still in existence. If you want to check it out, it's called mkp.org is the website. I'm still loosely affiliated with it. All of which to say is that experience of helping other people, it was, I'm not, now I've never been a crack addict. In fact, I've never even taken crack, but I suppose people talk about the high. That's my metaphor here is that like the high that helping other people gave me was like nothing else because I find like when I'm totally focused on coaching someone, facilitating their growth, it's transformational for them. And for me, it's this honor to witness and feel like I am a steward or a guide in this process. It's super humbling and it's super exhilarating at the same time. So 
that's why I love what I do. I get to do this on a daily basis and I get paid for it a lot of the time too, which is a pretty cool way to make a living. How does being a good leader actually make a difference in a business and how important is their team's cooperation? Oh my gosh, it's, it is, you know, I started this whole journey of research into leadership thinking, yeah, I think, you know, leaders make a difference. And what I have found is actually isn't so much that leaders make a difference, leaders are the difference. And actually Gallup did some studies on this. Turns out 70% of the difference between a lousy, a good and a great culture is directly attributed to that team's immediate leader. And why is that? Is because like I talked about earlier, the vibe, like it's a little, every leader creates a culture or a subculture for that team. And other researchers found the number one thing that creates engaged other people around you, people who want to stay working with you and do their best work is do people feel cared for by their immediate supervisor. So leaders, whether or not you know this or not, you are having an impact. Now, the question is, is it the impact you want to be having? That is really the issue. So it starts with this connection. At its core, leadership is a relationship between two human beings. The next reason it's so important has to do with the fact that leaders are the people who are responsible for creating clarity. Because if we don't have clarity about our mission, our purpose, what we're trying to accomplish, our goals, our strategy, the tactics, what is inbounds, what's out of bounds, we're gonna spend a lot of time kind of waffling in a mediocre sea. So communication is all about creating clarity and getting understanding. And then the third big area is around collaboration. It's what are we doing as leaders to create an environment where people can thrive, that people feel safe enough to bring their whole selves to work, that they have energy, that they show up kind of in their best selves. We all know what it's like to go to a place that's a drag. You wanna get out of there, you wanna leave. You know, also people have a sense of purpose that what they do matters to others. And also that people have this sense of ownership that they can have some creativity and they have autonomy in being able to bring their own ideas to the table. So again, we're going back to connection, communication, collaboration. Leaders are the ones who design that. Now, lousy leaders design environments by default while great leaders design environments very intentionally. So what is one of the biggest challenges that you've had to overcome in your time teaching leadership? One of the biggest challenges I've had to overcome is, well, early on, and this has continued, is, you know, I'm an optimist at heart. And this idea that like, oh, I can, I can help everyone. I can change everyone. You know what? I can't. What I have found is there are people who are not coachable. There are people who are not learnable because they have a fixed mindset and they are stubborn and they're set in their ways. And what, and this is true with clients too. I've had to, I've had to learn how to fire clients. You know, because they're just, they're, they're bad for business. They're bad for your health. They're bad for a lot of things. You know, it's not worth it. So that has been a challenge to figure out and how to overcome. Because I think, especially in the early days, there's this attachment to like, if I say no, like I'll have no business. I can't do that. You know, all these, you know, we rationalize all these things to ourselves. And, you know, at this point, I'm at a point in my career where, you know what, you want to work with me? Great. If you don't, great. You know, it's all good. It's fine. So I guess getting really clear on what your offering is and that, you know, there's 7 billion or so people on this planet. You don't need to be everyone's cup of tea to run a successful enterprise. How do you stay on the cutting edge? Has leadership changed much in the last 30 years? Yes and no. So the principles, the fundamental principles of how humans interact haven't changed a whole lot, probably for millennia. 
how we talk about it and the research that we have now is so much more apparent. So there's, so part of what I do is I have a, a few go-to people who, you know, we share resources with each other. So I'm super active on LinkedIn. So I have a few people that I love the content they post. Um, and I, fo I follow some industry leaders. So for example, there are big companies like Microsoft has just put out a whole new white paper on research about the future of work. I mean, I read up on these things and then suddenly I have data to support findings because they've done, like, I don't, commission studies of 15,000 employees, but Microsoft does. And then I can pull on their data and I can start to extrapolate from other, other people. So one of the things that I use that for is I write a leadership article for Forbes. I write a monthly column for Forbes. So I'm always looking for, oh, that would make a good column. So how do I pull data from here and a story from there and tie it all together with some specific tools that people can use? And I think, you know, for any entrepreneur is how do you start to establish yourself as the authority at whatever you do. Now, it doesn't have to be about thought leadership, but just realizing what is out there. I mean, this is the thing. You all have access to Google, the internet. I mean, you have access. There's tons of information with just a little bit of, you know, think of it as a treasure hunt, you know, as opposed to, oh, it's where it's like, there's all this treasure, you know, like you're interested in something, just a couple of keywords, boom, you can go down a rabbit hole and you can find all kinds of cool stuff. And then you can start to, form. So what people are looking for, kind of like the Adam Grant newsletter, there's tons of information and people are drowning in it. What they want is insight. So if you can curate information, pull together disparate pieces of it and synthesize it and present it in a fresh and new way, suddenly you have value. The fact is, if you look at my leadership book that I wrote, there's nothing in there that is new under the sun. However, the way it's been put together, the stories, the compilations, totally new and totally valuable. And that right. these are all lessons that people need to learn. So yeah, leadership hasn't changed and it's changed tremendously. How should people get, go about getting in contact with you? Uh, what would you suggest that path be? Should they get the book first and then reach out or should they? Uh... You can go, hey, I'm not gonna say get the book first, but if you want to, you can. The easiest way to go is probably, if you wanna check out the book more, go to www.crackingtheleadershipcode.com, spelled just the way it sounds. Takes you right to the book webpage. You're there, you can download the first chapter if you wanna give it a little test drive. Um, you can also order the book from Amazon, Barnes & Noble, IndieBound right there. That'll also take you to my webpage, which is alanhunkins.com. You can learn all about the work that I do. I work with individuals, teams, and larger organizations, all under the umbrella of becoming better leaders in your own lives and at work. You can also connect with me on LinkedIn. That is my only social platform of choice. So there you go. That's how you can reach me. Well, thank you so much, Ella. Um, for those of you at home, please like and share this with your friends and subscribe to the podcast. We'll see you next week. Want to learn the tricks of our trade? We have them all laid out in our courses on Harmon Brothers University. This isn't surface level stuff here. This is our entire playbook, all our secrets laid out in full, the same training we give our own employees. You'll find courses on ad buying, writing video scripts to sell your product or service, creating the kind of large production ads we're known for, even making short ads using nothing but your cell phone. If you're looking to use video marketing to take your business to the next level, Harmon Brothers University has the course for you. Our students have seen incredible growth in their businesses by implementing what they learned in our courses. Take these reviews as living proof. We've now got multiple campaigns that are in the millions of views and in the multiple millions of dollars in sales. Within a week, we're close to 10 million views, over a million in sales, and most impressively, we've covered 100% of the production costs in the first 24 hours of releasing it. 
We saw immediate results. Sales went up 10X the first day. The first video we did is over 30 million views. The most customers that we've ever acquired in a single month. I think we had about 26,000 new customers. Go to harmanbrothersuniversity.com to start accelerating your business's growth with video.